Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of... Woodworking. Thanks, man. <laughs> I'm Guy from Guy's Woodshop, and as always, I'm joined by Hui Huin, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Good evening, Guy. It's good to hear good from evening. you again. Yeah, and, and Brian is taking an evening off, so it's just Hui and I, and we'll be taking three questions each. So yeah, let's go. This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we also have a Patreon account. Right now we have one level and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife and stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our own shops. So let's get right into it. We What's your first question? All right. So this question, actually, since we don't have Brian Schmidt here, Mark Schmidt, his dad, uh, I think that my next tool purchase might be a track saw-like guide for a circular saw or something similar. We sometimes run into situations where we need to rip a straight line. This would actually be more for carpentry applications than fine woodworking. Things like ripping a long 2x6 or a long 2x8 at an angle or rip a sheet of plywood in the field, so portability and reasonable durability would be important. Whatever we buy, it would need to be used by a lot of different guys, and we'd keep it in a shared workshop. Most of the guys have DeWalt circular saws, but several guys have other brands like Milwaukee, Rigid, etc. So, the track would have to be adjustable for the bases of the various saws. I've spent zero time investigating this. Thought I'd ask you here. Any recommendations? Okay, so that that's an interesting situation, Mark. And so just to recap for our listeners, sounds like Mark is in a work shared space. And so really what he's doing is offering this shared space and offering something where he can uh, rip on a different saws, right? Uh, as opposed to like the track saw, uh, the festival track saw, which is brand specific. So I know of two that exist. And I know there used to be a lot more before track saws came out, but now I think these two companies kind of have taken over the market. And that's uh, Miles Craft, the track saw guide, and AccuCut, AccuGuide. It, it's, it's the Craig. It's Accu something. Yeah. Accu something. It's made by Craig. Uh, but that but uses, it, a, that uses, a, that doesn't just take any saw. You have to get the Craig saw for that. So they have another version that just okay. is a universal base, and it's about a hundred bucks, eighty right. bucks, ninety bucks, somewhere All around right. there. And Sweet. I think that the Miles Craft is about a hundred. And you'll have to check. Like you, we will actually make you do some research. Look into these two because I think maybe the Miles Craft track saw guide might be your shtick right there, because you're talking about like things like ripping a long two by six or two by eight at an angle. So a two by eight, I, I, I think of like a joist or, or like a roof joist or a rafter or something like that at an angle. And I think that the Milescraft track saw will work because it comes in like these smaller tracks that kind of break down. So it might be good for that type of cross cut. But I know that there used to be a bunch more brands that made these like sort of clip on track saw type things. Do you know of another one, uh, guy no i really don't I, I my recommendation is either the ones that you've mentioned or you make what is commonly referred to as a door board yeah yeah and that's just a 
a long piece. You can make as long as you want, you know, MDF and a, and a MDF block along the edge, and you just cut along the edge, butting right. your saw up against that. It is. It would be saw specific because of those is, distances yeah. between the blade and the edge of the uh, plate on the circular saw. They're all different. Right. So it's not universal, but it's a it's a it's actually I used one of those for a very very long time, and right. uh, it worked really really well. Um, I used to use it to to knock down plywood. Yeah, so it it does it does work, and that is another option. But mm-hmm. um, if I had a choice, and I know people are going to say, uh, but if I had a choice between something made by Miles Craft and something made by Craig, I would get something made by Craig any day of the week. Okay, right on, uh, right on. Not that Miles Craft is bad. I've had a few Miles Craft things, and they are. It's a little bit. Um, how do you say it politely? It it's a little chintzy. I think the term is. Yeah, it, I, I I think that's a good way to describe it. The Craig, while not high-end Festool-like stuff, mm-hmm. is still very, very well engineered, and they stand behind their product. They're a you know United States company. Miles Craft is I don't know. I think the guy that owns it is actually German. Anyways, right. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So I would I would look at the Craig and see if that does it. If not, you know, just make doorboards for each individual saw, and that's kind of a pain, but cheaper and it yeah. will work true so. true all right cool uh all right i've, I've, I've got, the, got next the next question one. all yep. right and this comes from jared not jared jared and i says hi guys i'm up to episode 43 of the podcast and can't get enough Whew. during this episode you discussed the merits of having a radial arm saw in your shop or lack thereof in today's workflow that got me thinking, and I wanted to ask, what other tools are you aware of that were once used in wood shops that are no longer in general practice? I'm not talking about rocks and flints from the Stone Age or from guys. <laughs> oh, no, my. Oh, dude. But rather anything in the past 60 or so years that have gone out of vogue. I can't <laughs> wait to hear guys' comments on my words of the use of the word vogue. I don't have anything to say about that. So I uh, hope you are well, and thanks again, Jarrett. So other than the radial arm saw, the only other thing I can really think of, that I wouldn't say is out of favor, but it's still used by some people, mm-hmm. is a um, dowel jig. I still yeah. use dowel jig. Yeah, just because yeah. it doesn't take up any room in my shop. But most people have abandoned it a long time ago for biscuits, for yeah. alignment, and dominoes for strength. Yeah, uh, yeah. As a as a uh, mortise replacement, mortise and tenon replacement. Right. But right. Um, I still I have a really cheap <laughs> dowling yeah, jig, and I I use it. I yeah. used to use it. You know. So, yeah, but every now and then it actually is useful to have, you know, yeah. small things or whatnot, you know. Quick yeah. The other thing, do. the other thing would be a biscuit joiner. I use my biscuit yeah. joiner more than I use my domino. Yeah, so I, I would say I use backwards. my biscuit, my domino about 50-50. It's 
about 50 50 i use i use the domino almost out on every project sorry my headphone jack went out um how long have router tables been around like forever yeah yeah see i would think you know i haven't seen shapers in shops it's just not a lot just a big router table yeah i mean we have a shaper in our in our shop at work Mm -hmm. and it sits there i mean yeah we've bought a couple cutters for it the problem the thing with the shaper is shapers are really good if you're running a lot of mill if you're doing a lot of mill work mill work yeah you're running a lot of you know um crown or railing around or stuff like that yeah yeah that's where it's really helpful but we have a um an anchor router table and you use that mostly huh yeah we use the hell out of that thing it's it's awesome I mean, we're, um, we're, so, so I guess the question is for me, were router, were shapers ever a commonplace in the American workshop? I don't know. You know, back then. I don't, I don't, <laughs> back then. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't think so. Okay. I yeah. Know. I don't think so either. I, I think I don't probably think so. router tables. I, I don't know. I can't think of anything other radio alarm saw. Uh, I mean, I guess circular saws. I don't know. <laughs> I still use I a circular saw. I still saw. use my circular saw. I, I use my circular use saw to cut my boards to, to yeah. length, rough length. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I've got a little cordless Dewalt. Yep. So I have a I have a cordless uh, Milwaukee that I use a lot. Uh, I'm. I'm it's a good question. I can't think and of any. The only thing like I said, the only thing that came to my mind immediately was the the. The Dowling jig. Yeah. Yeah. So. I can't think of anything. I, every, everything that I use, I know, has been around for a really, really long time, which is really good to say that I guess woodworking's been around for a really, really long time and yeah. kind of use a lot of the same tools. It hasn't Very really changed time. all that much. No, it really hasn't. Um, you know, there's the transition from hand to power. It, yeah. But I use hand tools too. You do too. Yeah, yeah. One so, thing that I know that was really popular back in the early to mid '90s was molding head cutters for your table saw. Yes, where it was this big metal. Yeah, uh, it's like a dado blade almost. Yeah, it was a big metal thing, and you put chippers in it that had profiles on them, and you could run uh, molding and stuff, and do edge uh, edge treatments and stuff like that they were just i, I don't know i, I think they're the problem biggest problem was they're really super heavy and your saw yeah. had to be pretty beasty to run them but yeah. um that's something i haven't seen much of do you guys at pd use a a a sanding disc on the table saw you know what i'm talking about yeah mike no, farrington uses that yeah we don't, we don't we don't we don't do that at all Okay. We, we don't we don't have a need for it. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't even have. I think we have a. Well, what we do have is we've got an edge sander, an oscillating yeah. edge sander. Yeah, they're sweet. Uh, yeah, it's really nice. We got that from uh, my buddy Tab Adams when he closed down his shop, Cross Country Vintage Designs. He closed and down. He, oh yeah, he retired. Oh okay okay. 
He retired. That, that's he was, cool. He's actually younger, younger than me. He retired and sold his farm oh, and okay. got big bucks for it. So he sold his farm and bought a RV and might be listening to us now. If you're listening to us now, hey Tab, uh, hey, Tab. but he 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 donated that uh, edge sander to us. That's cool. So we use that. Cool. I yeah. used to use it. I don't know if they if the guys are using it anymore. Yeah, that that's pretty industrial equipment. I, I guess the common American shop probably wouldn't have something like that. Yeah. No, no, not at all. But that's standard. I wouldn't say standard, but very common in a. In a, in a big shop, shop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah. All right, next question, we Okay, this question is from Paul Jenneru. I believe that's how you say it. Hello, everyone. I was wondering if you could help me figure out process for flattening double angled bar stool legs in my shop. Last fall, I was commissioned to build a set of saddle bar stools for a client. The legs from front and back have a five degree angle on them, while the view from the sides had a 6.5 degree angle. I tried running them through my table saw on the front and back sides on a crosscut sled, but this still produced some wobble from the 6.5 degree sides. I wound up just taking some adhesive backing sandpaper and sand and sticking it on the flattest spot on my saw. On my shop, which is my table saw, and sanding down for multiple hours. Do you know of anything that, that I can build or use that won't take that the hours of sanding like I did for any future commissions? So I know of one trick, Paul, and it is on the table saw. So if you have a zero ins, uh, zero clearance insert, which I have, so there are no gaps. Uh, it's just the the curve of the saw, and you know you have a flat flat surface and that throat is properly flush with the flat surface, you can raise up that blade just ever so slightly and you can run your uh, uneven bar stool leg across and that will slowly sh uh, flatten that spot. You just can't uh, can't go too aggressive on it. You're just barely coming up over the, uh, over the zero clearance insert and that might actually help your problem, Paul. Guy? Any uh, any recommendations so he doesn't have to do that for hours? <laughs> yeah, the, what you just recommended is what I've done before. I figure out which table leg is high. Yeah, and I just bring the saw blade up. I mean, that's an old, that's a very old trick. It's been around forever. Yeah, and you just yeah. raise the blade up a little bit and you just run it over, and it it eliminates having to sand that down. Um, yeah. I used to make a lot of shaker uh, chairs. You know, they had the the tape weave for the seat mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yep. I, I did that all the time but it's very easy to take off too much yes we're, we're talking about putting the blade above the uh the uh insert i mean it's less than a 30 second of an inch it's very very small amounts and run it over a couple times it can get it can get aggressive yeah you can you can it can get away from you <laughs> <laughs> so you just run it over once, test it, run it over again, test it, but don't run mm -hmm. it over five or six. Oh, it's only a little bit. Run it over five or six times. Before you know it, you've taken off a quarter inch. Yep. And uh, you might as well throw the, the, the stool away. Yeah. Um, there's got to be another way to do it, though, I would think. I mean, I you took all those classes. I don't. So chairs. I did a rocking chair, though. I didn't do okay. like a four legged Windsor. Okay. I don't know. I don't know how they do it because we didn't have to do it because we stuck it into yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. rockers. 
The Rockers. I thought yeah. you took. I thought you took a, a a class other than that. I did. I had to leave early. I had to do something oh. at home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so you never got to, to that. The, you never yeah. got to that far. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's not a whole lot of help. So yeah. I know there's articles about this and fine woodworking, and I'm sure you can find a video or two on YouTube of uh, using the table saw to uh, flatten yeah. and, and level table legs and chair legs. So Yeah, and that'll help you. That, that'll that'll yeah. work just fine. It should. It yep. should. So, Guy, it's our, off to you, man. Yeah, next question comes from Chuck Lovelady, who always sends us questions. Thank you so much, Chuck. We do appreciate it. Thank it you, says, Chuck. Gentlemen, this might be a potential topic. Do you think YouTube and maker communities have created a renaissance for encouraging young people to get into woodworking as a hobby or a profession? I watched some amazing videos of young people making incredibly complicated turnings, amongst other things. Thanks again, Chuck. So, yeah, I, I do. I, I look at my son who showed absolutely no interest at all in woodworking growing up. Mm -hmm. And now he's got a shop. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, you know, quote unquote, reality shows on TV that do all the, the home stuff. Yeah. Um, and also his home friend, animation. his friend, Theo, who used to live across the street. I, I think both people listen to the show. Hello, Theo and Austin. And Theo is a woodworker now, too. He actually bought a lot of the stuff that Tab Adams sold out of the shop. So oh, cool. they weren't real interested in that growing up, but they are now. And That's awesome. um, yeah, so uh, firsthand experience would be yes. Um, and I, I, I say reality shows very loosely because they're about as real as Gilligan's Island. Yeah. But um, they're all, it's all scripted crap. They're all actors. It's, it's such a joke. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. I think that's, it's really bringing a lot of people around. So yeah. what do you think? We, I, I, I really believe it. And I've been around not as long as you guy, but I was around it when, and got into woodworking when there were only a few channels woodworking channels on YouTube. Uh, and, uh, people just, I don't know, they were really in-depth productions and I got kind of hooked onto woodworking and now I don't, <laughs> I don't watch that many YouTube woodworking things. I just, I feel very imaginative, just kind of coming up with things as, as I go along and, yeah. uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it greatly influenced me because I wanted to have the nice shops and do the cool things that uh, all the folks did on YouTube. <laughs> but do you, do you think it's, it, it's causing more people to get into woodworking? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. hundred so, percent. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think so because like I said, there's people that, you know, I, I watch very little TV. I watch a lot of movies, but I watch very little TV. I, yeah. I watch a lot of YouTube, mostly yeah. puppy videos. <laughs> cute puppy videos. Uh, who doesn't, who doesn't love cute puppies? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I think it's definitely made a great resurgence. Um, 
I mean, I still make a YouTube video like twice a year. How about you, guy? Do you still make them about twice a year? Uh, no, I make I make them more than that because I'm making I'm doing the 3D printing videos. Yeah, your new thing that you're into. Didn't yeah. your son get you into 3D printing? Uh, I don't say I wouldn't say he got me into it. It was because of him I got into it. If that makes sense, he had a 3D printer. I needed something 3D printed. And he didn't, he didn't have it anymore when I needed it done. So that's when I got one. <laughs> if that, if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. So, makes a lot of sense. All right. So then, it's interesting. Hui, you've got the next one. Okay. This is from Jesse McKillen. Hey guys, I have a question about piston fit drawers and their longevity and overall use. I know they are a sign of the highest craftsmanship. In the summer, will everything swell and the drawers will stick? If you ever moved, how would this affect the piece? I don't have an exact project in mind, but debating the idea of trying my hand at this in the, my next build. So when would you use piston fit for drawers over soft close mechanism, wooden runners, etc.? Is the juice worth the squeeze? Good question, Jesse. Uh, I've gone through the experience of doing both soft close and piston fit drawers, and... I don't know if I would say it's worth the squeeze. I I sort of felt like when I did piston fit drawers for my sideboard, my uh, storage bench, uh, I felt like it was worth it because the piece only had two drawers and they didn't, they weren't used like extraordinarily often. So I didn't feel like they needed soft clothes. Whereas now I've got a sideboard that I'm building that I have soft closed drawers on them. Uh, and they're not piston fit. They could have so, uh, piston fit drawers on them, but uh, I just don't feel like the amount of use that I get from them, they're going to be as nice as soft clothes. So I really sort of judge whether or not I'm doing something piston fit, which is going to be hand cut dovetails with the exact fit to a drawer. Maybe, I don't know, a 32nd of an inch around clearance. Maybe so when, you're, when you're doing the piston fit, are you making the back of the drawers smaller than the front and it just like closes in on the front? You know what I mean? Ah, uh, yes, I do know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, by piston fit, I just mean that, you know, there's just, just this pocket of air and yeah. the drawers are just fit perfectly to its sides. And, you know, it the ultimately. The whole length? Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, I don't worry about expansion and contraction because I allow enough space uh, along the top and the bottom so that it really isn't much of an issue. Uh, the situation where I've done piston fit drawers, I've had uh, veneered, the carcass was veneered. Uh, but even if it wasn't veneered, uh, the expansion and contraction of the boards, if they're going lengthwise along the length of the drawers, is going to be vertically. So you just account for that movement in the vertical position, not necessarily from the side to side or the opening of the drawer. So yeah, I just yeah. fit my uh, piston fit drawers almost exactly. And I'm just taking off shavings uh, on with my hand plane until I get that perfect, nice, even fit all the way across up and down. I might have a little bit more of an opening. Yeah, you you hit on it the, the nail around the head. The the, the boards are going to go up and down across their width, so they're going to they're going to go up and down uh, for the height, right. and the piston yeah. fit is on the sides. So, yeah. but this is the, here's the thing: 
And I had a discussion today with one of the guys in our shop about we made a bunch of tabletops out of quarter saw and white oak. Mm-hmm. And there was a question about, you know, he had about um, wood movement on those. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, the wood grain on a normal flats on board, it goes across its width. Yep. So the tabletop, when we've got these big tabletops, they're actually getting bigger. You know, that's the theory. They're getting bigger in the summer and smaller in the winter. Winter, yeah. Because it's, you know, absorbing moisture and then getting rid of moisture. But in a cortisone board, it's actually getting thicker and thinner, not mm-hmm. wider and skinnier. Right. Right. Because of the way the grain's going. But it's so minimal, it doesn't, you don't notice it. But I also told him, I said, here's the thing. A hundred years ago, that was a huge deal. Yeah. The summer and winter time. Now, it doesn't matter that much anymore. Everything we're doing is going into commercial environments. Mm-hmm. And 99 out of 100 commercial environments, they're all humidity controlled. Right. Yeah. So it's the same humidity year round. It doesn't matter anymore. Most homes now are all humidity controlled. I know ours is. Yeah. And you know, our house was built in the 80s. So I'm sure yours, is, you know, you got a new house. I'm sure it has, you know, a dehumidifier and a humidifier. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all connected in the system. It's yeah, all ACs. yeah. So your 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 furniture doesn't shrink and swell with the, the change of seasons anymore. However, right. if you took one of those pieces and put it in a truck and moved it from, let's say, Kansas to Florida, yeah, there's going to be a considerable difference in moisture there, just because that's yeah. the way it is. Mm-hmm. And it's all going to happen when it's in the truck. So you'll, yeah, you'll get there. Yeah, and it'll be like right. all yeah. all weird. So now, Michael, uh, do you think it might go back to normal? <laughs> I mean, it may, I guess, once it, it gets may. to where it's supposed to get. <laughs> it may, but I mean, the, the so let me ask you: if, this, if I'm what, building something for my house, I do not worry about expansion and contraction. Okay, all right. So expansion and contraction should not be his concern. When would you use piston fit? Or when would you use soft close mechanisms? Depends on what I'm making. If I'm making something that's quote unquote fine furniture and I'm making a piece that would have a, a street value of, you know, thousands of dollars, I would do the piston fit. But mm-hmm. if it's just for my own personal use and it's going to see a lot of use, mm-hmm. yes. You know, yes. I would put, you know, either for the shop, I use side mount drawers. Or mm-hmm. drawer slides, the mm-hmm. just cheap. And then, you know, for something like the desk I'm sitting at, which the drawers get open and closed all the time, I use undermount. Drawer slides, yeah. Yep, undermount drawer slides. So Yeah. Same I mean, situation. It, it really it really depends. It really depends. It depends mm-hmm. on the piece, it depends on the use. Mm-hmm. But yep. you can't go wrong with either. No. I really like undermount drawer slides. Um for everyday use stuff, type stuff. I mean, yeah. it's super nice. Yeah, I Easy don't mind. I don't too. mind side mount either. They just don't look yeah. all that great. They don't. So. You're right. Yeah, the undermount are you know not visible. They're nice. So. Yeah, yeah. So I've got now you got the, the last one. Last question. Well, we blew through this. It's only been a half an hour. I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you sorry for? 
Well, I mean, when we have a third person, the conversation goes so much longer, but it's just me and you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Well, hopefully Brian will be back next week. So, all right. This question comes from Mike Vadnais. Probably saying that wrong. I apologize, Mike. It says, hi, guys. Love your podcast and I've listened to every episode. All right. He said, I spent a lot of time on the road and I've listened to many woodworking podcasts. Yours is by far the best. I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) I especially admire the work you do at Purposeful Design. Well, thank you. Uh, He says, I'm from Montreal and started woodworking as a hobby five years ago. I have three kids, ages nine, two, and six, and I only have limited hours a week of shop time. Additionally, I am quite sensitive to sawdust. I have a wall-mounted one-horsepower dust collector with a dust separator and a one-micron filter bag. What is your opinion on bypassing the filter bag and venting outside? Thank you for your contribution to the wood, your contribution to the woodworking community. Many blessings, Mike. Mike, if you're in Montreal, I'm sure it gets cold there in the winter. Yeah. If you take your dust collector and vent it outside during the winter time, you're also going to vent out so all your heat. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Um, what you might want to do if you're if you're um, that sensitive to dust is consider something that's got a HEPA filter on it. Mm-hmm. I did a video. I don't know, maybe six years ago. It's been a long time where I took a standard dust collector and converted it to uh, a dual stage with a dust separator. And I also put a HEPA filter on the, the exhaust output. And it worked really, really well. A friend of mine, Mike Fulton, has it now. Um, but yeah, that's so just a cartridge, right, that fits over yeah, top? Yeah, and it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a HEPA cartridge. So it fills, filters out, I think it's like... It's like Merv something is the rating, and it filters out 99.97% of particles under one micron, which is, yeah. it's a true HEPA filter. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not cheap, those yeah. filter cartridges, but if you have a, a aversion to dust and are allergic to it, that's something I might recommend is putting a, a, a HEPA cartridge on the uh, pre- or the uh, output of the dust collector. What do you think, Hui? Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I've had three dust collectors. I've had a Harbor Freight dust collector, and it just had that one micron bag. Yeah, and it's I've had one micron. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, it was okay, but I I felt like my shop was a lot cleaner once I had the HEPA filters on my two stage separators on both of them. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's right. You've got a um, uh, what 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 are those called? Clearview. 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 Yeah, and the one before I had was I can't even remember the name. A JDS. JDS. Yeah, yeah, Thank JDS. You. But that, yeah. that that definitely had a uh, a HEPA filter on it. Yeah, on the exhaust. Big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but that's um, that's a, a big bit, difference. Yeah, that's a big deal having those HEPA filters. And I, again, that's something I might recommend. But venting it outside, eh, 
don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about yeah, that in Montreal. Yeah. Um, so, well, was that, was that the last question? That is, yes, unfortunately. <laughs> we, Sorry, we did, guys. <laughs> we, we did we did blow through those. All right, so what do you got going on in the shop, Lee? Man, I got a lot going on in the shop. So I just recently pre-finished all of the parts for the sideboard. And I glued that together and put it all together. And then I made the drawers. And then I made the drawer fronts. And for the drawer fronts, I did some book matched veneer. And then I added the uh, cock beating around the drawer fronts and the doors. Uh, so yeah. So it looks pretty good. I'm really yeah, happy yeah, with I saw, the, I saw the pictures you sent. It does look pretty yeah. good. Cock beating yeah. is a, a really nice um, detail. It takes a lot of time. But it's yeah. it's definitely worth it. That's one of those things that I think uh, I can't remember who said it. That says you know the is is worth the squeeze. It's worth yeah. the squeeze, but it's it, it's time consuming. You had done it differently, right? Where you uh, I think you placed a rabbit in the cock beating, right? Or that when you placed it around the door, around the drawer the front, drawer, your yeah, piece. yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, you routed. See, I just uh, I just milled a three eighths inch bead it's a thick bead but these are big doors big drawer fronts yeah that's a little bit different yeah yeah and so then i just cut it at a 45 and attached it onto the veneered piece at the end yeah uh, i think yours conceals the edge between yes. the veneer and the and the yeah that's trim what it was designed to do better. yeah um, yeah but i think those when i did it on that that one piece it didn't it didn't have veneer on it wasn't a veneered piece no was i solid. think yours was solid, was solid. yeah was solid cherry was solid yeah. cherry. and i think your method was rabbiting into the drawer front along yeah. the edge on the and then side, also just rabbiting the, the trim yeah but it was mostly on the sides that i did okay i can't remember but yeah i mean i remember the video yeah um, didn't you so. make that same one didn't i send you plans for it you sent me plans, but I, I did not make that piece. Okay. I'm I took ideas from that piece to make my desk. Okay. All right. Yeah. So Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. yeah. Yeah, because I, I believe that piece had the t desk and then had the bank of drawers in the front, correct? Yeah, yeah like three drawers in the front. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of copied that design. Well, not copied, but got used the dimensions from that design to make my desk piece yeah it was heavily influenced yes so i don't have anything going on in the shop i'm i'm doing some you know 3d printed related stuff i'm still at work you know i think i talked about it last time where i'm um learning fusion 360 that's correct yeah that's how do you feel about it's it it's a bear it's yeah. it's really super powerful. Um, I, I it's like I came to work this morning and on my my uh, task list I had to uh, do a table and sketch up. I, I mean, literally five minutes. Yeah, I'm doing the whole thing. If yeah. I would have done that in Fusion three sixty, it would have taken me a couple three hours. I just don't have my, I just, I'm not, and I'm not kidding either. I just don't have my workflow down yet. 
I yeah. haven't, um, you know, I've been doing the, 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 the sketch up for so long. I didn't just fly through stuff and get it done very quickly, but there's a lot of advantages to us for, uh, for us to using fusion 360. So, yeah. Um, I know you had mentioned that. I, th- it's, it's really not up to me, believe it or not, it's up to Brian, whether or not we, yeah. we moved it or not. So, um, <laughs> We'll see what happens. I don't know. I had to uh, sign up for a new 30-day trial because my 30-day trial ran out, and it, the computer, the their system knew who I was. So I had, had actually flushed my cache on my computer, create a new <laughs> login on Google Chrome, uh, you know, get a new Gmail account, and trick the their servers into thinking I was somebody else. So I'm Jimmy James. <laughs> I'm Jimmy James now. Yeah, so whatever. I, I just came up with that name. So I, I got a new 30 day uh, trial. So if people of Autodesk out there listening to me, I, I think I'm going to do that forever. <laughs> and I'm never going to pay the uh, money. Yeah, if that's really the thing. I mean, it's it's. I think it's like five hundred and fifty dollars a year per seat. Yeah, and we would need two seats. So. Yeah. It's and it's not so it's not cheap. Um, it's not for two license. It's not completely outrageous either. No, it's not. See, if with um, with SketchUp, they have two different levels. They've got yeah. the SketchUp Pro. Yeah, which is like three hundred and fifty dollars a year, I think. And then they mm-hmm. have the SketchUp Suite or something like that. They gave it a different name, and it's. It's like $750 a year. Is that what y'all had? No, we do not have that. So mm-hmm. that gives you, um, allows you to do renderings, mm-hmm. you know, photo renderings of the products. Uh, it also gives you compatibility with other um, CAD programs. Mm-hmm. But within the SketchUp suite, though, right? There's things that are out there that are not not part of that. You know, a, a really not good example is, is is Revit. Uh, Revit okay. is used by a lot of interior designers, and the SketchUp SketchUp you have to have that you know special suite that's seven hundred or seven hundred and fifty dollars a year mm. to be able to import that stuff in. So. Um, Autodesk, I think Autodesk owns Revit too. They own everything. And uh, all, everything works with Fusion 360. So it gives right. us a lot of abilities. So mm. anyways, a lot of compatibilities. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. And uh, we would like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes, and it really does help us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. So remember, this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions you would like answered, you can send them along to us through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at Woodshop Life. And I can be found at Guy's Shop on YouTube or Guy's Woodshop just about everywhere, everywhere else. Where can you be found at, Hui? 
You can find me at Alabama Woodworker on YouTube or alabamawoodworker.com. You can find all my links to everything there. All right. Good <laughs> enough. I guess right. we will uh, talk to you in a couple of weeks, we. I will talk to you in a couple. See ya. See ya.